Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim vayet va'ele shemot b'nei Yisrael habaim mitzrayema et Yaakov ish v'yikra el Moshe v'yidaber Adonai elev me'ochel moed le'emor v'yidaber Adonai el Moshe b'midbar Sinai be'ochel ele Hadevarim asher debar Moshe el Vayar Elohim kitov Vayehi erev Vayehi bocher yom hashishi Vayehulo hashamayim v'haaretz v'kol tzva'am For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses challenging words to the hearers of Yeshua's day. But what about today? Perhaps equally as challenging. As Christians and Messianic Jews alike often find the Torah of Moses difficult to penetrate, to follow, to understand, and apply. Following the traditional weekly Torah cycle, we'll consider each portion in light of Messianic faith, just as Yeshua said, for he wrote of me. So let's consider the heart of the Torah. Shalom, friends, and welcome to Messiah in Life. We continue our study of the weekly Torah portion, and this week we conclude the book of Bereshit, or Genesis, with the portion called Vayechi, and he lived, speaking of Jacob, as he lives in Egypt, specifically in Egypt with his beloved son, Joseph, with whom he's been able to spend 17 years. And during that period of time, he's been able to watch Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, grow into men. And it's beautiful because he had never anticipated being able to see Joseph again, much less see these two beloved sons grow as well. But we're seeing a very touching moment, a very poignant moment that is indicative of a greater prophetic um, overarching theme that we find going through Scripture. And it begins here. And it begins with this beautiful blessing that we see as a type of the spirit of adoption that Paul will articulate so beautifully in uh, Romans 8, when we look at Jacob blessing the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, and the blessing that he places upon them in order to bless Joseph, but because they are not Jacob's sons, but Joseph's sons, he actually adopts them. And we see that spirit of adoption working as he prophesies into their life. But then with that very well-known cross-armed blessing, he places the blessing on the firstborn upon Ephraim, meaning fruitfulness, over Manasseh, meaning forgetfulness. And in this, he sets the fruitfulness before the forgetfulness, and he makes these two sons of Joseph of equal standing with Joseph's brothers, as they are now adopted sons of Jacob. And we see that these two sons will no longer identify their future and their hope with Egypt, 
but with that of Israel. And so we see there's a change in life and a change of direction and a change of prophetic destiny that does not end in an ancient land, but continues on even into eternity. So we see in this blessing of his sons, speaking specific words, not only to Joseph and his sons, but also to Jacob's natural born sons. And we see in this that he is speaking to them. We get lost so often in trying to understand the nature of the prophetic language, the imagery that is used, which of course is very important. But we forget that Jacob is prophesying a future for them. He's telling them, you have a future. There is hope for you. There is hope that is beyond what you will experience while living here in exile. Because the God of my fathers, the covenant Lord, has received you as his own. So he takes them into this prophetic journey into the future. Remember, as the portion opens, uh, the prophetic portion opens, he wants to tell them what will happen to their descendants in the end times or the end of days. But the rabbis tell us that Jacob's vision, he was able to see it, but he was not able to express it. The Lord showed him all of the valleys that Israel would go through over its long history, but he was unable to speak that, to relate that, to explain to his sons what would happen. But rather he is uh, comforted to know that he can speak to them in a manner that expresses the hope and the future for his people. But of course, Jacob dies. He goes to rest with his father's. But he passes that hope. He passes that hope found in covenant faithfulness to his family. And of course, they help fulfill the hope of Jacob to be buried at the cave of Machpelah. And so here we see the power of family and the power of fulfilling our word to each other. Let our yes be yes and our no be no, as Messiah tells us. But we also see the covenant promise of God coming to fruition. It's in that process of fruition that will go on through redemptive history that we see so beautifully laid out and orchestrated. But I want to point out something that is in the text that we don't often notice as we read quickly through our translation. And it begins in Genesis chapter 50, as Joseph is about to die. He says in verse 24, Vayomer Yosef and, and Joseph said, El Achav to his brothers, Animet, I am dying. Va Elohim Pachod Yifchod Ethem. Vahaallah Ethem. Min Haaretz Chazot. El Haaretz Asher Nishba La Avraham La Yitzach Uliakov. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. Now, this is the important part of the verse that I want to consider. And bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore, Nishba, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I'll continue in verse 25. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God, God will surely visit you. And this is the same language that we find in verse 24. And you shall carry up my bones from here. Verse 26, so Joseph died, 
being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But even that reality of having been embalmed and having been set in a coffin in Egypt did not conclude Joseph's hope. I'll pick that up in a moment, but when we look at this beautiful verse from 50 verses 24 and 25, we find a repeated phrase, pachod yifchod, in 24 and 25. And this means to remember, to visit, or to attend to. So these words that are spoken by Joseph begin what is the central story of Israel and the Jewish people, the exodus from Egypt. See, Joseph is speaking a future and a hope to not only his brothers, but to the generations that will come and the generation that will experience the exodus. He is telling them, the Lord will attend to you. The Lord will remember. He will visit you. And in that visitation will begin the greatest story in redemption history. The story that tells in type and shadow of the exodus, the greater exodus that we experience through Messiah Yeshua Jesus. The hope that has kept us for thousands of years. The hope of the end of the exile, the bringing back to the land, to Jerusalem, but also ultimately to the renewed Jerusalem. And we know from Joseph, uh, or excuse me, we know from Joshua that Joseph's bones were carried out. They were brought out from the land of Egypt. And during those 40 years in the wilderness, his bones were among the tribes of Israel. He was still there with his family. His bones were making their way to their final resting place. So both Jacob and Joseph held to a future hope, and they passed a future hope on to their generations. But then something happens. We're going to skip ahead just for a moment into Exodus. With the calling of Moses, Moses, of course, will become the central figure of the Torah as he will be the redeemer, the leader, the deliverer of Israel out of Egypt. He will become a prince of Egypt, even though he, like Joseph, is a Hebrew. But then in Exodus 3, in 16 and 18, God quotes something to Moses. He actually is using the same language that Joseph did that we read in Genesis 50, 24, and 25. It's a different tense, but it's the same words, pachod yifchod, that he will remember, he will visit, or more specifically to my point, that he will attend to. So the Lord tells Moses, they will listen to your voice. Why? Why will they listen to his voice? Perhaps we should read these verses from Exodus 3, 16 through 18. Exodus 3, 16 through 18. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, 
the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited, and here's that language, I have visited, I have attended to you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, and excuse me, and I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the interesting phrase as well. Then they will hear, heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Three days' journey into the wilderness, just as Abraham took a three days' journey to Mount Moriah with Isaac in order to offer sacrifice. I have seen this. I have surely visited you. I have attended to you. And that is the language that Rashi finds very interesting. Maimonides finds very interesting. Why? Because it seems as though the Lord is quoting Joseph. And we would ask, why is that? Well, when he says, they will listen to your voice. And of course, Moses says, hey, why on earth would they listen to me? What? Why would they do such a thing? And it's in that phrase, pachad yifchad, they will hear the words of Joseph, the words that Joseph has left for them. Because we see that the words of Joseph, the oath that Joseph made Israel swear to him, has been preserved because they will take the bones of Joseph out of Egypt with them. They hear the words of Joseph. They hear the words that they must fulfill when God attends to you. When God attends to you, bring me out with you. That is what I'm asking of you. I am faithing to a future hope. I won't be there in the flesh, but I will be there. My bones need to rest in the land of my birth. My bones need to rest. My itsim need to rest in the land of God's promise. But even earlier in the Torah, we find God attended. But to whom did God attend? Well, Here we see God attending to Sarah when it was time for her to conceive Isaac in Genesis 21, verse 1 and 2. God attended to, God visited, God remembered this promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah. And in the fullness of time, God attended to, and there was a miraculous birth. So all of this attending to has to do with redemptive history and bringing God's promise to fruition and fulfillment, of course, in the promised Son, Yeshua, who will lead the redemption, who will be the Redeemer, who will be the Passover Lamb, who will be the the greatest sacrifice, who will lead the greater exodus into the greater promised land, heaven and the renewed Jerusalem itself. So the promise spoken by Jacob and Joseph begins, really, when he attends to Sarah. When he begins this promise that he had spoken to Abraham and Sarah, that she will conceive, 
that this impossible matter will happen. That what everyone imagined would never happen, that Sarah would have a child, becomes a reality. What do we learn from this? Well, anything can happen when God attends to it. Israel, if you recall, of course, by the time that Exodus opens, Israel had nowhere else to turn. They had to hold on to what Joseph had made them swear, that when God attends to you, you will take me out with you. And what was Joseph basing that uh, oath on? But the promise that God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, that your descendants would be slaves, but I will deliver them. See, all of these promises and all of these words are working together. God is bringing them together for his glory and unto the salvation of his people. Israel had nowhere else to turn, but when God attended to them, events transpired, came into being that had never happened before. And we'll explore all of those in the coming weeks as we look through the book of Exodus. But remember what Jeremiah writes regarding the word of God. And there's many different variations of this, but I think most of us know something similar to what I'm about to read from Jeremiah 1 and verse 12, that God watches, or I'm watching over my word to perform it. We know some variation of that. He is watching over his word to perform it. Why is he watching over his word? Well, word in Hebrew, devar, is not only word, but it is also promise. I'm watching over my promise to perform it, to fulfill it, to make it happen. I am attending to it in order that it will happen. See, when we consider the promises of God, as I have said so many times on this podcast and over the years of teaching in various congregations, all of the promises of God are wrapped up in the person of Messiah Yeshua Jesus in whom they are the yes and amen, as Paul tells us in Corinthians. In that promise, he who is the resurrection and the life, the promises of God cannot be killed. They cannot be lost because God is watching over his word to perform it. And those of us in faith, in Messiah, are in him. And because of that, the promises of God are working in our life. Just as Joseph saw just as Sarah saw, just as Moses spoke to the elders of Israel. The Lord is attending to his word to perform it. And that was why the elders received Moses ultimately, because he was speaking back to them. This prince of Egypt, this one that had not grown up in the community of Israel, who did not know the promises that God had given to them. Here, having been separated from Egypt for 40 years, he comes and he says, God will attend. God will attend to you. He's going to take care of this. So he is reminding us. Joseph is reminding us. Jacob is reminding us. Sarah is reminding us. Moses is reminding us of how God is watching over his word to perform it, to keep it for us. And how did he do that? It wasn't just the spoken word. It wasn't just the written word, but it was 
the living Word of God made flesh, the second person of the Godhead, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, who intended in flesh, who, for the cause of salvation, of saving those that God is wooing to himself through his Son, those who are presently actively believing, who will be saved, who will be caught up in the greatest exodus, he is attending to and fulfilling his promise to. And this is where we hold on to the promises of God when we face great trial and difficulty. We hold on to the words that we see in Scripture, what all of the great cloud of witnesses have endured with, have held on to. See, in faith, all of the forebearers, all of our forefathers died. They died in faith, holding on to faith, not having received the fullness of what the Lord had promised. But they, as Sarah, as it says of Sarah, she knew that he who promised was faithful. She knew that the Lord was faithful to his promise. So did they despair? Of course, there were times where they struggled. We see this in Scripture. We see the times of struggling and wrestling in Scripture more than we do the times of their individual victories in Scripture. We see the despair, but ultimately we see that in hope they held on. In faith they held on. Faith is that substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They held on to the hope. Did they despair? Yes, at times. But they also held on to faith and hope in the Son who was promised, who came in type as Isaac, through whom the promise to the nations would go, but also the promised Son of Yeshua, the one through whom the promise to Israel and all the nations will be fulfilled. So when God attends to it, even Mary can attest to the fact that when God attends to you, the promise will be fulfilled. She was told that she, as a, a virgin, would be conceiving a child. And the Lord attended to, and the Lord made it happen. And the Lord made a way when there seemed to be none. Faith in the Lord doesn't always mean we understand what's going on or how he will do it. But faith in the Lord tells us that what he has spoken, he is watching over to perform. So we hold on to the promises of God. We hold on to he who is the fullness of his promise. We trust in the word. We trust that what has been spoken all of these years ago, this living word, will be fulfilled in one day that which we see in part we will see in full, no longer dimly, but in the glorious light of heaven. So that should make us hold on and hope and speak life. Even as our days are winding down, we speak life to the next generation through whom God will work to again fulfill that which has seemed impossible. So friends, I hope and pray that there were some words spoken today that are helpful to you. Maybe you're facing a desperately impossible situation. Well, I want to remind you 
that the one who has done the impossible before will do the impossible again. Hold on to him and let him work out all of these valleys into a beautiful vista view of the creation that is before you, the beauty that is before you, and allow him to take you to the greatest heights that are found in his son. Trust him, he will work it out even when we cannot figure it out. That's why he is God and why he saved us and why we trust in him. Amen. So until next time, friends, May the Lord bless and keep you all in the mighty name of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. And friends, I want to thank you again for listening, for tuning in, no matter where you are in the world. I saw through our uh, podcast report this last week that our podcast has been downloaded in more than 50 nations across the world and all 50 states in the United States. So I am so grateful, so happy, so thankful to all of you for listening in. And I hope and pray it is a blessing to God's glory. Amen. Amen.